Hello, you are listening to Denver Orbit. Episode 5, The Great Pretender. Hello, and welcome to Denver Orbit, an audio magazine that features voices, stories, and music from Colorado's creative community. I'm Ryan Connell. And I'm Josh Madison. Before we get started, let's do a little house cleaning stuff. We are always seeking submissions. At the moment, we are especially looking for Halloween-related stuff, but uh, an anecdote or a fiction piece or a poem, we are open to just about anything. So drop us a line at denverorbit at gmail.com or go on over to our website, denverorbit.com and fill out the submission form there. Also, if you like what you're hearing so far, go ahead and rate us and review us on iTunes. I know every single podcast you listen to says that, but we really mean it. It would greatly increase the visibility of the show and help us grow our little community. Now, on with the show. Right. Our first segment is actually... Part two of Mike Flaherty's story, that's the second part of The Roommate, and then we'll have a song from a band called Little's Pie-Up, that's Adam Baumeister's band. We'll actually have an interview with him in an upcoming episode. So let's get started with the show. Before we begin our first piece, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I strongly suggest you go ahead and do so, or the story won't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, let's recap that story real quick. Mike and Ryan had a roommate named Rick. This fellow didn't uh, always seem to be on the up and up, and Mike was just beginning to see that. Once my skepticism had begun, I remember going up to Cripple Creek with another IVAW and veteran friend of mine. Um, And... I just kind of remember talking to him a little bit about Rick and talking about these night terrors that I was seeing. Um, And even more, like other things that I can't quite recall now, but there there was a little bit more that was making me skeptical of him. And I just remember that I turned to my friend and I said, you know, I think that, I think that Rick's full of shit. I was like, I don't even know if I think he's a veteran, if he ever deployed, if he was ever in the military. I don't, like, I just, I just feel like his story is not real. Or like I feel like he's he's elaborating or acting or embellishing greatly. And so that was that was that was the extent of it. Some months later, a group of veterans got together and formed this nonprofit group called Veterans Green Jobs. And this sort of took me um, away from this house that where we were living. Veterans Green Jobs started by having two months down in Alamosa. And it was during this time where we were all in Alamosa and doing our um, weatherization training, learning how to do home energy audits, things like this. When the news broke that Rick Duncan was indeed a fraud. And I looked over at my friend that I had gone to Cripple Creek with and I was just like, I fucking told you so. He said he was a war vet injured on the battlefield in Iraq, and he used his story to inspire people and rally them to his cause, and it worked. The problem was none of it was true. 
He wasn't who he claimed to be. Why did he do this? Let's try to find out. Rick joins us now for an exclusive 360 interview. Rick, thanks for being with us. For, for the record, I, I just want to get a couple things clear. You had said you served two and a half tours in Iraq with the Marines. In fact, you were never a Marine. You were never in Iraq, correct? This is correct, Anderson. And you claimed you had gone to Annapolis, to the Naval Academy. You did not go to Annapolis, correct? That is correct, Anderson. And you claimed you were at the Pentagon on 9-11. You told a very dramatic story about being in the Pentagon on 9-11. You were never there. That is correct as well. This is the real story of Rick. Richard Glenn Stranloff was born in Montana in 1977. He claims he was raised in an abusive, dysfunctional home until he was permanently estranged from his mother when he came out at 14. In high school, he started going by the name Rick Pearson and was heavily involved in the drama club. In 1997, he was arrested under the name Rick Pearson and was sentenced to five years for forgery and bad check charges. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. While in prison, Rick acted as his own attorney and sued the Correctional Facilities Food Services for $10 million due to them serving him saccharin, a known carcinogen in his fruit drink. He would also sue the Correctional Facilities Administrators claiming that their ban on hardcore pornography violated his civil rights. He was later banned from the prison computers because he was caught posing as a lawyer. In 2005, Rick Stranloff was living near Lake Tahoe where he posed as a race car promoter and raised nearly $25,000 for a race that would never occur. After serving nine months in jail for not returning a rented car, Rick followed his boyfriend to Colorado and soon after became Captain Rick Duncan, wounded Marine veteran. He had done more than just lie about being a veteran. He had started a an organization to raise money he was doing fundraising for for veterans and somewhere along the line somebody thought to vet him okay one good unintentional pun there and two here's how rick got caught in april of 2009 rick called the fort carson army base and said that he was working for senator mark udall and wanted to set up a meeting at the base but when the Fort Carson liaison called Senator Udall's office to verify, they discovered there was no Rick Duncan employed there. Udall's office then called the board of the Colorado Veterans Alliance, that's the organization that Rick founded, and they began to investigate. Within hours, his whole story unraveled. So once that news was out, we were just like, wow. Then you kind of start, then it's a bad thing because you're thinking, oh man, anyone else could be a liar. Not necessarily true. You see, for Iraq veterans against the war, one of the very first things that I was asked to do was basically like enroll and provide documentation of my service and become like a legit member of the organization. Gone through the chapter president in Colorado Springs. And I went through that process. And since I went through that process, I assumed that every person there, anyone else in that organization, had gone through the same process. Do you know how Rick got in? He never went through. He just always avoided he never, it. He never joined. Right? He never joined the organization. He, he was never up. an official member. Rick told everyone at the time that he didn't want to officially join because he wanted to work under the radar so he can maintain relationships with conservative politicians and veterans. So yeah, come to find out his name was Rick Strandloff. And he had had some 
institutionalization or he was institutionalized at, at, at some point in his past and then he had, he had gotten out and not that he had escaped or anything but you know he's not an escaped mental, mental patient but he had he had gotten out of whatever program he was there for rehabilitation or whatnot but this was sort of his mo he likes to create these little personalities or personas and push it and see how far he can take it when i found out I actually had a sense of pride that like, aha, I was correct. I had deduced that this man was lying and no one believed me, but I didn't really try to hard sell it. It was a pretty private uh, yeah, declaration. I was just about to ask, like, did, did you really, like outside of telling one of your friends that he was full of shit, did you try to convince anyone else that? Absolutely not. I wasn't. you just had that suspicion. Yeah, I did. Um, and so like for me, I just felt, I felt validated. And then from there, like, again, like everybody was kind of, as I mentioned, the feeling with some people was, huh, well, he's a fraud. And what does this mean? There were some in the group that were just angered and like, you know, I hate that piece of shit because stolen valor is something that is a very serious issue in the in the community. And especially those had like had had served and, and had actually been in IED attacks who had actually seen friends die who had actually been under fire, who had actually taken lives, those people, I think, felt the most betrayed because it was as if, like, what they've gone through was somehow cheapened because this person was able to just lie about it and get away with it. This person was able to be out in, the, in a public display of courage and valor and isn't he a remarkable man and he survived this and isn't it great what he's doing for these veterans. So I need to break into this narrative a little bit to talk about the Stolen Valor Act. According to federal law, it's illegal to wear a military medal that you did not earn as your own. The Stolen Valor Act, which was signed into law in 2006, expanded on this, making it illegal to even claim to have earned such a commendation. Rick claimed to have been awarded both the Purple Heart and the Silver Star, so as a result, he was brought under federal charges for violation of the Stolen Valor. However, the law was always controversial, with many arguing that freedom of speech entailed the freedom to lie. After all, people lie about stuff all the time. Is it fair that telling women you are some rich celebrity just gets you an eye roll, but telling that same woman that your unit is shipping off to war tomorrow can get you a jail sentence? When the Stolen Valor Act was eventually argued in the Supreme Court, Rick's was one of the cases discussed, and they overturned the law. Rick was allowed to go free. Kelsey Whipple from Westward did some great reporting about this in her piece, Will the Real Rick Strandloff Please Stand Up? We'll have a link to it in the show description on our website. Nothing that Rick did during his time posing as a Marine Corps captain was bad or negative toward anybody. He was never malintended. In fact, what he what he actually did was a lot of, he actually did a lot of good. There were plenty of people that he sent to the VA to go get like help to have to to tell them that they need somebody to talk to or that they could talk to him and he would be that shoulder for for a veteran to cry on whether with literal tears or figurative um you asked what what my feelings were about everything and I'll tell you that one night I was walking with a friend in in Cap Hill Denver and uh, headed to watch an NFL game and I saw him. I saw him standing with protesters. I think it was for Occupy Denver. It was like during the Occupy Wall Street initial movement, right? I saw him 
and I didn't talk to him. I didn't want to say anything to him, but I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, I like that. I wish I could just pop that guy in the face. And I'm like, that's a really weird thought because I'm a pretty nonviolent person and I don't have those kinds of thoughts. But I was, at least in that moment, a little bit outraged. And I don't think that I was owning my own rage or anger, but I think that it was like a collective of like, you know, being around people who had said enough things about him. So we would mock him. We would watch that Anderson Cooper video and just be sitting there laughing while we're, you know, have, knocking back some cold ones. So I think that I just kind of picked up on some of that and, and it just sort of kind of came out through me and I thought of, had that thought. I think that's why I couldn't really stay mad because that there's a certain part of me that just felt pity. Like that I felt bad for him because he couldn't, he can't stop this cycle. Like for him, it's always going to be repeating and he's never going to be able to just accept himself as himself. Even after all of this, getting caught impersonating a soldier, being arrested for that crime, and having that case argued at the Supreme Court, and winning that case, Rick Strandloff's need for, well, I mean, it's hard to describe what, actually, impersonation, duplicity, deception, whatever it is, it didn't end there. In 2011, Rick was caught going by the name Rick Gold, an Israeli-born civil rights attorney and Krav Maga trainer. Not only was he deeply involved in the Denver Jewish community, he also helped start Denver Flash Mob and put on over a dozen big events, all apparently while homeless. Now, I'm not a mental health professional in any way, so this is just pure speculation, but something about his behavior feels compulsive, like he wouldn't be able to stop even if he wanted to. As of this podcast, Rick seems to be going by a different name. I saw him last summer as I was driving for Lyft and I gave him and his boyfriend at the time, I don't know that they were dating, but they were together and headed, headed downtown. So he was the passenger and we exchanged some banter, but I never got the impression that he knew that I was me and that I knew that he was or wasn't he. I just felt like I had to say something. And so as he was getting out of the car and walking away, I just say out the window and it was not hit. He did not request the lift. So the thing that showed up on my screen was the other guy, whatever his name was. So there's no way I would know his name. Like Rick would have no reason to think that I would know his name, but I call out the window and I say, Rick. And he kind of turns back to look at me and I say, I forgive you. I'm not sure why I said it if I've really felt that he had transgressed me or maybe that by seeing my name in all these articles that, that I may have been on record as saying that how I had resented him or that I didn't, I didn't like him or I was angry or whatever. It just felt like the thing to say at that time, just to make sure that now he knows if he never knew now he knows. And even if he didn't have any need for that clarity, perhaps I did. So I wanted to touch on something Mike said a little bit earlier here. Nothing that Rick did during his time as imposing as a Marine Corps captain, veteran, was bad or negative um, toward anybody. He was never malintended. In fact, what he, what he actually did was a lot of, he actually did a lot of good. I'm not so sure that's true. 
How so? Well, somebody like Rick is so mercurial in their personality and their motives that it's hard to tell what they were trying to accomplish at all. His explanation is that he just gets caught up in the stories he tells, which implies that he isn't aware of when he's lying or not. And I definitely don't buy that at all. Um, first of all, the nonprofit he founded was under the name Rick Stranloff. If he really believed he was Rick Duncan, he probably would have used that name. But also, hearing stories from the people that knew him, he clearly studied the part well. He worked out to look like a Marine. He learned the jargon and military in-jokes. He even borrowed bits and pieces of other people's stories that he would pawn off as his own. I think he fully knew that he was lying. But, as Mike said, he did do a lot of good. He fought for the rights of homeless veterans. He convinced several people to get counseling and treatment for their PTSD. He raised awareness about what was actually happening in the war. So really, the question is, how much does that matter? Is all the good that he accomplished, all the people that he consoled, is that outweighed by his deceit? Well, even his altruism demands some scrutiny. In a Colorado Public Radio interview, he took credit for starting an open mic night that was actually started by somebody else. And he raised a lot of money for care packages for vets, and no one really knows what happened to that money. There's a ripple effect to all of his very public behavior, which is kind of negative. And I fully agree with that, and I don't want to gloss over that or excuse what he's done. But it is good to remember that we are talking about a guy with some real mental health issues. He was not in a place where he was thinking rationally, even if he knew he was lying. But there is still a ripple effect to all the good that he did, too. Even Mike has said that he would never have sought treatment for his depression had Rick not encouraged him to do so. And because Mike's my friend, if nothing else, I owe Rick a debt of gratitude for that. It's time for a song. We're going to have the song BWC Phoenix by the band Little's Paya. Thank you. 
And that's it for today's show. Mike is a photographer, and you can see his work at 13zphotography.wordpress.com and on Instagram at Shifting Passions. Special thanks to Dee Dee Corral of the LA Times, Kevin Simpson and several staff writers of the Denver Post, and Kelsey Whipple of the Denver Westward for their fine reporting on the story of Rick Strandloff. You can find more from Little's Paya, which is one of Adam Baumeister's bands, on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, CD Baby, and most places you get your music. Denver Orbit is written and produced by Josh and myself, and is edited with some light sound design by Josh as well. Denver Orbit is a twice-monthly podcast, so we'll see you again in two weeks. Orville Redenbacher. <laughs> Orville Redenbacher is a twice monthly popcorn, and we'll see you again in two weeks. <laughs>